Well, welcome to Uplifting Humans, where we honor, empower, educate, and inspire the listener. I'm Solyndra Buller, your host. Our guest today is Adrian White, a trusted advisor, speaker, and coach who brings a genuine passion for advancing the potential and well-being of women around the world. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you so much, Solyndra, and I'm delighted to be here. Yes, it's uh, it's an honor and a privilege. Uh, we've been trying to connect, and it's kind of nice that we've uh, we've been able to take some time out to share your knowledge and understanding. Um, and uh, it's going to be a great, great next uh, little while here. Um, I want to know, Adrian, um, you are known as the brain geek who understands neuroscience and have told me that you have had to reinvent yourself several times. Can you share a little bit more about that with us today? Sure. Yeah. Um, there have been a few opportunities for me to completely uh, uh, restart, as you said, but you know, one of them, one of them came as a result of burnout, colossal burnout. And mm -hmm. I know that's something, you know, that a lot of people experience. Um, I'd actually had it twice before, but mm -hmm. the third time that I experienced burnout, whoa, I was physically and mentally exhausted. I couldn't think, I couldn't concentrate. At the end of it all, I actually lost my job. Mm -hmm. And um, the freaky thing is when you have that kind of burnout, there's nothing doctors can do. So it, it, it really scared me. And Wouldn't there it, be like telltale signs prior to leading up to that, Adrian? Wouldn't there yeah. be something? Sure. There, yes. Okay. I've got to tell you something about me. I'm okay. historically, I'm a recovering control freak. Um, I've, <laughs> Love so it. I'm, you know, a sprinkle of perfectionism, very much type A. Um, I've softened now. I'm an A minus, mm. but you know, with a very strong work ethic, you want to get the job done. So I became very skilled at explaining away. A lot of people do this, uh, explaining away the symptoms. So the symptoms were like, okay, that physical and mental exhaustion, right? You start to feel more and more tired and you think I just need a good sleep. Mm -hmm. um, difficulty concentrating right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's really tough too. Mm -hmm. um, that brain fog. And you know, something we all do uh, mm -hmm. at some point, we forget words, right? Yes. But I'm starting to forget a lot of words and they call that aphasia. And also I couldn't concentrate, I couldn't focus. And uh, you know, all the stuff that I was hired to do pretty much, I couldn't do. And it, it was, it was scary to be honest with you. Now you've been through that, like you said, three times, mm -hmm. each time were the symptoms different or were they the same that you knew, uh Oh, there it is again. Or you just discounted and waved your, 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 your wand at it and said, Oh, it's just nothing. <laughs> well, the truth is it, the, the first two were not as bad as the third. Mm. So, I don't know if it's cumulative, but, um, but 
yeah, I really wanted things to be right. And, um, and I cared so deeply about the people that I worked with that if, if the company was making a decision that I didn't think was the best choice, learning right. material, for example, I would jump in and do it on my own time. not the best choice right but you came from the right place I think I honestly feel that you probably came from the right place you came from the heart you really cared you probably had some passion and drive because you cared enough but I think that yeah it's that's a control thing too (laughs) but you're right it did come from the right place no question and that that touches on something I'm hoping we're going to talk on a little bit later. Okay. okay. Around listening to yourself and yes. care and that kind of thing. Right. Right. But, but yeah. So, so that, that, you know, burnout, it had good and bad things. Can I tell you about that? Yes. Yes, please. Well, the, the good thing that came out of it is I really deepened into my learning about neuroscience because as you've said and it's true I'm a brain geek I am utterly fascinated by the brain and I've it's been part of my work for decades in terms of how adults learn and how people embrace change or don't right so um, the brain and leadership those are all things that I'm steeped in and that I geek out on but um in this case, one of, one of the real benefits that came from that burnout is I developed a five-step program for dealing with burnout and stress and really busting through it, right? A breakthrough system. And that was a great thing to have. And it's certainly benefiting my clients. Yeah. The, the bigger gift came a while longer. I mentioned I couldn't work. Yes. Um, and I lost my job. So I had... A window of opportunity and you know the universe really is good and uh, what came my way was a workshop mm-hmm. that was focused on the feminine and I thought meh this sounds like it's gonna be lame but yes. I thought I'm gonna try it anyway yes so I did and here's what I discovered mm. When uh, one, of the, one of the aspects of the workshop is that they read through a list of words that were typically masculine and words that were typically feminine. And they said, you know, read through it, feel into it. Yes. Which of those do you resonate with? Which not so much. And what I discovered is the masculine words, almost without exception, I really resonated with. I really valued. I thought, yeah, that's that's really great stuff. And a lot of the feminine words, I thought, eh, eh, no, I don't, I don't value that so much. And in fact, some of them I even had disdain for. So that was my very first window into the balance because what I learned, I really thought this was all about work-life balance. Yes. Yes. So my third and last burnout from that, I learned that it wasn't for me about work-life balance. It was about the how I was being was out of balance. So that feminine and masculine were completely out of whack. So touch on that a little bit more. 
So when you say the masculine and the feminine, I myself know, but that's because, you know, that's, that's my, my passion to research that a little bit further. For the listeners that's sitting at home, explain the feminine and the masculine within a person. Sure. Well, we're talking about feminine and masculine energy, not male and female. First thing to know. Second thing to know, we each have both and they're both good. They can both serve us and we need both, right? They're a great balance to each other, the yin and the yang. And I knew about the yin and the yang, but yeah, it's a pretty thing. Yeah. I had I hadn't really gone into it all that deeply. So, you know, there are lots of strength and masculine energy, the doing and taking action and the planning and all that stuff. It's great. My whole life was steeped in that, right? The masculine, um, I think people really have a good sense of. So let me talk more about the feminine. The feminine is... Um, very often people will associate words like nurturing and gentle and sure they are and in fact um, the language that we use to describe the feminine i think is very telling of where we are in society at any given time and you know even today if you look in the dictionary it will say words like mm, um, weak or pretty, <laughs> or uh, sissy. And the truth is, the kind of words that truly embody feminine energy are words like truth and innovation and flexibility and adaptability and creativity. And there's so much strength in the feminine, but we have devalued it and our society devalues it um you know it's funny i was at my accountant's office last week and i it had been raining and i noticed the rain the water coming off the roof and water is one of those soft flexible things very feminine mm -hmm. and it was falling and this really tough strong asphalt it had carved a line right along the roof line in the ground and that's, that's the strength of water. So it's kind of a, a good example of the strength and power behind the feminine. It's just, we often don't explore that. And even, you know, some of the workshops that I've held around uh, power and the feminine, I've had people say all of their, their connotations, the way they thought about power, was so negative and at the end of it they said I didn't realize power could be a good thing yes yes so, yeah and it's a very interesting time period that we're in because it really is a balancing factor that is happening right now as we speak and that shift in consciousness the shift in understanding the shift in the divine feminine and the divine masculine is allowing for this conversation to take place even in the corporate walls of, of society. So that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And, and so what you're doing is you're taking your work 
and your workshops and your speaking uh, engagements and and you're you're start you're starting to do the work of empowering and helping people understand that can you touch on uh, adrian can you touch on the five principles that you spoke about earlier you said that there's a five-step process well you know yes absolutely it's and it doesn't always happen in this order but the first thing is um we do an inventory so that people can really get clear because that clarity is really really important when um, anytime when a person wants to move from where they are to where they want to be, right? So that clarity is super important. So we start there. Then we create um, an action plan, but not before we feel into it, right? right. Because um, that heart work that you do so beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. It's a really important part of planning. So it's a, it's a great balance of the masculine and feminine energy in that. Um, and then we look at developing the skills to support where they want to be. And a lot of times, those are really brain-friendly um, skills. You know, it's, I was stunned to learn that the way we as women work very often, you know, that whole multitasking thing. Yes. Um, that's really, really fast switching because the prefrontal cortex can't actually multitask. So I was a supreme shifter. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to call it multitasking, right? So, um, but what I learned is that can actually shrink part of our brain. And I was horrified. So I'm like, I'm on a mission to keep the brain of women alive and thriving. So developing those brain-friendly awarenesses and skills is part of it. And then the fourth step is optimizing the environment. There's so many different parts to it, the physical environment, the mental environment, the people that we surround ourselves with. Those are all really important things. And then the fifth one is to really master the mind and emotions. So that's part of the five-step system. Isn't that wonderful? Um, and, and just because there may be some listener out there who doesn't quite understand the neuroscience. Can you explain neuroscience? Because people understand biology, chemistry, physics. Now, what is this that you're speaking of? Well, this is a very technical term. The cool way the brain works. Okay, so it's People often say, you know, the brain is at the core of all we do. Well, okay, the brain and the heart, you know, the heart's really at the core of it, but let's focus just on the brain, okay? It um, is responsible for very often the way we act, the way we respond, the way we react. Um, and, and when you understand that, it it improves your relationship with yourself, but even more, it helps you understand the people around you. If you're a leader and you have an understanding of the basic neuroscience, basic, like I'm not talking hard stuff. Yes. Really, really basic things about the drivers. And, and so here's one example. Um, the brain loves certainty. Now, you the personality may not but the brain does because it 
taking care of a lot of business in your body, right? So that's that's just a tiny little nugget, but that's one of the one of the pieces of learning that when people understand that, they can integrate that into their life so that their brain doesn't get so tired, so that they can use their brain for the important, innovative kind of cool things that they really want to do and not waste that brain power. So the brain uses an enormous amount of energy, right? Yes. We, only, we only have so much energy. This is why people get decision fatigue. So Steve Jobs, he always wore the same outfit. Right. Why? So that he could reduce the friction in his brain and not have to think about what he was going to wear. He could think about, he could use that brain power in other ways. Beautifully put, beautifully put. Now tell me, um, for some of the audience, they may be wondering, well, how, how do I take care of that special uh, equipment that I have up, up there? Um, what are some of the foods that you would suggest? What are some of the key elements that you feel that everybody needs to incorporate knowing the understanding uh, and how the brain works and functions and how it can be in optimal shape? What, what do you have to offer? A lot. Too much for this. But let me just touch on the high points. And I apologize in advance because there's not one person on this, uh, listening to this podcast who hasn't heard this part before. So uh, getting enough uh, hydration quality fats, because the brain is a lot of fat, right? Yes. So high quality fats, very important. Um, always increase your supply of healthy vegetables and good proteins and movement. So here's an interesting thing. I told you that I was discovering all of this when I was in a really rough place physically mentally exhausted i also have fibromyalgia so to be truthful i had difficulty moving i was just a mess and um like a jellyfish on the beach is how i felt mm. um and the more i was learning about the brain i learned that movement exercise walking briskly that actually helps build neurons those are cells that can go to the brain, right? And, and build brain cells. They're the, the focus of, or the, the foundation of brain cells. So ah, movement's so important. Yes. And, you know, people would say exercise is important, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know what? My knees are bad. I have fibromyalgia. Back up the truck, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But imagine how frustrating it is. <clears throat> Yes. You have your brain not working and you can't move much and you find out the movement is one of the keys to helping your brain. Yes. So, yes, best to learn that one before the brain takes a bit of a dive. Isn't that something? Now, when you, when, you know, that's, I guess, where the 10,000 steps or whatever they, they say that you should be having minimum a day or whatever, in whichever way or form, and I'm sure that uh, having some nice fresh air uh, would do you a world of good as well. 
Now for yourself, because you've been through so much, my dear, and I, and I know the entire story, how do, you, how do you incorporate some of those things into your life? Right. I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to keep talking about it. Yes. The uh, mindfulness is really important for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is it slows things down. We get a barrage of information in every second of every day almost. Mm -hmm. And the brain has to work very hard sorting it out, what we want, what we don't want, what's important, what's not important. So anytime you can be mindful and take a brain break, um, that's a really important thing. So that's one of the things I do. And that can be as simple as uh, there are so many different forms of breathing, but whichever one feels good for you. Uh, it can be as simple as stopping and touching your hands and just feeling, feeling the feeling on each hand as you do it. It's ridiculously simple, but it's focused and it gives your brain a bit of a break. So that's one of the other things I do. Meditation is uh, really key. And again, there are so many different forms, but for me, it's just a question of quiet in my mind. Easier said than done. Yes. Um, and I'll only do it for 15 minutes at a time. And just to listen. Mm. You know what I mean? Great. Yeah. So those are some of the things that I do. How, how wonderful. Now, I know that you're very passionate and you had spoken to me in the past about uh, you know the signs of a heart attack for a woman are so different and you said please let me discuss this and i was like fascinated i said oh i didn't realize that signs of a heart attack for a woman could be different than a man but i would love for you to share that because i think that's very valuable information for anyone that's out there listening yeah well i need to say I've got a whole talk around this and yeah. we could we could have a whole other call but I'll give you the the uh, the reader's digest version if that makes sense to people anymore these days um yeah. showing my age there a little bit um, <laughs> don't worry I, I was there as well <laughs> so I was out for lunch yes and I just didn't feel right those are the magic words by the way I just didn't feel right. And I was feeling suddenly nauseous. And I thought, wow, can you get the flu in a nanosecond? Yeah. That's so weird. And my friend said, hey, why don't we have a cup of tea? And I thought, that's a great idea because I'm half British. That fixes everything. Yes. So we had a cup <laughs> of tea. And I did. I felt much better, much better. And then a little bit later, I felt sick to my stomach again. And my arms were so tired and heavy. As if, you know, when you're working overhead and yes. your arms get really... So it was that kind of a feeling. And I thought, that's weird. And then lunch came. And for the first time in months, I had dairy and gluten. Mm. And it was so good. <laughs> uh, the dish was really lovely. And again... About a third of the way through, I felt sick to my stomach. And I thought, come on, can dairy and gluten really affect you that fast? Because yeah. I never had strong reactions. Anyway, 
my friend said, are you okay? And I said, you know, I don't feel great. I don't, I don't feel right. And she said, well, your nail beds are kind of blue. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. Okay. So we decided to get out of there and get some fresh air. Yes. And I was feeling really weak, kind of too weak to talk. And I said, you know what? I'm going to drive you back to the ferry and I'm going to pop into the local hospital. And uh, then it turned out I couldn't drive. So she drove for me and we checked in and I got all of the, you know, paraphernalia and it would come in about a wave five minutes. I'd feel really crappy, Mm -hmm. but like not good at all. And then I'd feel fine again. It's like, this is so strange. Anyway, I was feeling that really icky feeling for an extended period of time. And the doctor came up to me and he said, Miss White, it appears you're having a heart attack. I said, you know, I'm so sorry. I don't think so. I've been (laughs) swimming around so much in this bed. I think I've messed up your wires. He said, no, you're having a heart attack. It's like, oh. So if I had been home, truthfully, Solyndron, I would have gone to bed. I would have thought, you know what? I don't feel great. I'm just going to lie down. Um, I certainly would not have gone to the hospital. Um, And I had a 100% blockage. And I had an 80% and another 80% and a 70%. Like, it wasn't good. Um, I won the genetic lottery, but I remembered my mom had a heart attack when she was 50. And I remember her saying, I just didn't feel right. And her husband said, we're going. To the hospital. Wow. So, yeah. So people assume it's this great big event where you have wild chest pains and, and shooting pain down the left arm. And it wasn't that way for me at all. And in fact, I volunteer um, at a, a cardiac hospital on the wing and talk to people who are just about to have surgery or are a few days out from open heart surgery. And you know, a lot of people that I talk to have the same experience. Sometimes a little bit of pressure in the neck, the mm-hmm. tiniest little bit of pressure, just something unusual, you know, wow. not concerning necessarily, just mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. So sometimes men experience that, but largely that's the female experience. And here's the problem. Our media, movies, television, everything focuses on what is typically a more male, not masculine male experience most of the research is focused on men because women have those you know pesky hormones mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's as a result 53 percent of canadian women 50 54 yeah. percent of american women who go and report heart attack symptoms to a medical professional are misdiagnosed mm. they often die yeah. So, so your advice would be then to go straight to the hospital. Don't go to a doctor because they'll do the actual, you know, the, the, the uh, a complete checkup. Yeah, really pay attention. And, yeah. you know, if you've got a really good doctor, do that. But, um, but it's, it's just pay attention to your body and it's something we don't do. And this dear one comes around so beautifully. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm the when we were talking about the feminine yes and how our society and our language and our definitions frequently don't value the feminine yes 
we come to that on our own too and we often devalue ourselves isn't that something yeah, yeah. I, I could so totally tell where you know your importance is of whoever the male is or or whatever is sometimes it's not even the male but it's everybody else or everything else and and yeah i, I could see that happening right. because it is something that you're conditioned with yeah, yeah it really is yeah. and so the one of the huge learning opportunities for me here was not just about the masculine and feminine and realizing it was out of whack and learning how to um, lean in more to the, the feminine energy within me, yes. but also to value that more. And as a result, because I'm female, valuing myself more. Right. And that, that makes such an enormous difference. And, you know, I've talked to friends of mine who are um, forensic anthropologists, so they know way back stuff. Yes, I don't. And I, I, I called one of my friends and I said, you know, this, it doesn't make sense to me. I have a belief and I need you to tell me if I'm right. She said, go for it. Yes. I said, I think early mankind, when we were cave dwelling, when we were nomadic, I do not believe for a second that the females in that group devalued themselves because if they did and if they didn't take care of themselves they would have died they all would have died mm -hmm. and she said you're absolutely right she said the research that i've done and what we've seen out there um people valued themselves because they were people and you know they did their part and i said so when did it go pear-shaped when did it start to go wrong and she said, it seems to be around the time of agriculture, which is interesting because then the nomadic part stopped because they could grow their own food, right? Yes. So yeah. it's just, I say that just mm -hmm. to point out mm -hmm. that while in recent history, this is a problem. Yes. This is something we've developed and perpetuated, but it's not the way we started. No, no. And I know that you also, um, uh, well, both of us have, have spoken at length about taking care of yourself. And, and, and I know you made, you made a comment. You said, well, you know, it's not being selfish. Mm -hmm. So if you want to touch on that, just so that the listeners understand that there is this, uh, this thought process out there where people think that, you know, if you, if you don't go to work, if you don't do whatever it is that's necessary, that you're being selfish. Yes. Oh, Susan, you're picking all of my favorite soapboxes, dear one. Well, let's, let's talk about selfish. I think I am not the only woman who grew up to be told it is wrong to be selfish. And if you put your needs ahead of someone else, you are Yes. And, you know, that there was so much shame in that. We didn't want to be selfish. Yes. Um, and it also means you're thoughtless. Oh, I learned so much about what it means. Right. Yeah. 
So the guilt and the shame behind it, the disempowerment uh, that you have that you have to face. But again, you know, you think about it. Uh, I, I, you know, I look at my mother and I think to myself, well, you know, she's definitely not one that was selfish because she would be on her crutches trying to prepare a meal. <laughs> I could never imagine me doing that. I'd say, go get takeout. <laughs> this isn't happening. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. I've got to tell you, so one of the women I talked to, she had just had open heart surgery three days later. Her sternum was literally held together with wire. And she said, I'm looking forward to getting back to my routine. And I just had a funny feeling. And I said, okay, tell me more about that. Yes. Well, you know, she said, I can vacuum, right? No! Gracious woman, you need to take care of yourself. You actually need to let people help you. And I've learned that asking for help and allowing people to help you, yes. men and women, that is harder than recovering from open heart surgery for a lot of people. Why do you feel that that is? Why, why is it that people find that very difficult? Well, we're fiercely independent for starters. Ah, yes. I think from the male perspective, um, from the men that I've talked to, they're, they're sort of in that provider role. They're accustomed to taking care of things. To have a need that you can't fulfill is to be weak. I think that's what they oh. think, right? So oh, yeah. I don't envy them. They're in a lousy spot. Yes. Uh, and, and others have really evolved to the point where they understand it's just part of the process. For women, uh, we tend to be such caregivers, right? Your mom on crutches is a great example that at our own detriment, because we have been taught it's selfish to take care of yourself. Yes. To our own detriment, we um, will we'll take care of the needs of our children and the other people in our lives, um, which if we end up dead, doesn't really serve anybody. anybody that's right. You know? that's, and that's right. It's a, it's a really tough thing. Also, people yeah. don't necessarily plan, mm -hmm. right? That's a big thing. Yeah. So um, if you've got something coming up, ask people to help. And you've, you've, I'm sure you've experienced this at some point. You're going through something and somebody says, oh, if I can help, just let me know. Well, sometimes they don't mean it. But you know what? They usually do. But they don't know what you need. That's right. It, it seems like it's a passing comment and it's just them, you know, uh, putting it out there, but not really coming from a place of I'll be here. <laughs> right. That's, at least that's the story we make up. That's right. And it's not always true. They don't want to be a bother quite often, right? And that's where this clarity part, part one of that five-step system comes in. The clarity is so important. So like if you're having open heart surgery and people say, oh, if you need any help, let me know. The answer is, I do. Thank you. I'll need help with rides to doctor's appointments because I can't drive for over a month. And I can't make the bed because I can't put that kind of pressure. So that would be helpful. Meals would be helpful. Shopping would be helpful. And if you can't, then if you could think uplifting, happy thoughts for me, that would be great too. Great. Great. I want to back up just a little bit, Adrian, and I want to take you back to the male, female, um, stereotypical thought process. Now, 
<clears throat> this brings me to a very interesting point in our conversation, and that is we have many females out there who are in the corporate world who are trying to prove for whatever reason that they are just as good, if not better. And I know that you would not be offended if I were to ask you this question. Um, it, that's a very difficult position to be in. In other words, you're in a female's body and you're trying to do things which are very, in my, in my viewpoint, and I'm not being judgmental, uh, living the life of a male it, it, to a certain degree. Um, how, does that, how does that work when all of a sudden, okay, you know, you can't ask for help, you can't do these things, like touch on that for, uh, for, for our audience, because that, that to me is a real complex and very confusing, uh, you know, subject, you know, in corporate, in co corporate society here, you know, the female. You can't ask for help if you're a male, but how does that work when you're a female? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, I've just, I've got to touch on, I was talking to um, a woman who worked with Obama and uh, in the States and she's a lawyer. And I said, I asked her, have you noticed a shift in women behaving like men in the workplace? Um, have you noticed any kind of a shift? And she said, absolutely. Because when we started to get into high level positions, yes, the only way we could fit in was to go in like a man. Wow. And, and so we've noticed that, right? Men, um, manners are interpreted as being strong decision makers. They're tough. They get the job done. A woman doing the same thing is considered a ball busting bitch. Pardon my life. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, but that's what women very often, I don't like to generalize too deeply, yes. um, but very often that's what women had to do to have a place in senior management levels. So for myself, it was very, um, I'll say insidious or subtle. Mm -hmm. Most of the people in senior management were men. And I just thought they were wonderful. Mm -hmm. So I learned from them. But mm -hmm. I learned the way of the man from them. Right. Um, so sometimes it's just not having that, that role model there to learn from. Do you know what I mean? Right. Right. And, um, and certainly I learned, as many women do, um, that how you are will not work in this environment. Now that's changing. And I love that. And I'm so grateful for it. And I'm so excited that we get to see it and be part of it. We're not there yet, but we're closer. So in terms of asking questions, because that was your question. Yes. We learn to do it in ways that uplift another without making ourselves look too stupid. But I think more and more, and I'm so grateful for this, our society is valuing vulnerability and that strength and capacity to say, hmm, I'm not sure I get this. 
Can you explain that a different way? You know, I was talking to a fellow who was just about to have open heart surgery last week. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to him about the ask and allow. And I said, you know, you will need to ask people for help and you're going to need to allow them. But I think you're brave enough to do it. And you could see that just washed over him. That was language that worked for him. That's great. Because it is brave. It's very brave to ask. And you also need a vulnerability. That's right. That's a huge thing. It's a, it's a, you know, especially for a very, very male macho uh, guy, they do not like the feeling of vulnerability because they're really opening up themselves for yeah. all sorts of things, which, which A, yes, it is uncomfortable, uh, unfamiliar. Uh, you don't know what's going what's gonna to come next. So it, I, what I always say, I say that uh, someone who's um, a real macho guy who can easily go into that vulnerable position is really, really uh, an individual. I think that there's, there's that element of charisma there because he's being his authentic self. Mm. Well, I love that. And, you know, the aspects of the feminine that I so deeply value and appreciate are that when you're able to step into the feminine whether you're male or female doesn't matter yes you open to exploration you open to curiosity you open to reflection and you open to transformation and i That's love true. that about the feminine yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, is there a way um, uh, that you can explain that, uh, you know, to, to make the process of trauma or surgery or any big, huge thing that happens in life, uh, you know, there's certain things that I know that you bring to the table from your practice of coaching and everything else that you bring to the table that makes it easier. I know that you had expressed that there's certain keys that make the process easier for, you know, bringing on the big trauma and handling that or big surgery or something, uh, which is, you know, huge. Can you explain that a little bit, please? Oh, I'd be happy to. And let's start it already with the, with the allow and ask, but the, I usually use an acronym, ABLE. And then I thought, you know what? I'm missing something, so now it's cable, but it doesn't quite sound as good. But the C stands for clarity. Really, really understanding um, what you need. The A stands for ask and allow. Um, the B is, because when it's major surgery, you need to be on the lookout for stuff that's going on that may or may not be related and keep a list. The L stands for look at your progress from the day of surgery. I've talked to people who struggle so deeply because they say, you know, two weeks ago I could run up and down stairs and now I can't even do, it's hard to get out of bed. It's like, dude, you just had your sternum cut. Yeah. It's wired together. Of course it is. So that, and then the E is ensure, ensure the people around you feel appreciated and get a break. Because when, when we have major surgery like that, it's all about us and it needs to be all about us. Yes. But especially when it's a long-term thing, the caregivers 
will not give themselves a break um, very often because they're so focused on you. So it's that. But there's another thing too. So that's that's the cable um, acronym that I use with people. But the other thing is um, very often uh, when I talk to my friends and family about what was coming up, yes. like, surprise, major surgery upcoming. Yeah. Um, I didn't want anybody to say, oh, poor Adrienne. Oh, yes. Right? That's, I, oh. I did not want that energy. Yeah. So I said, you know what would mean the world to me? is when you think of me, I want you to think of me strong and flourishing and healing with ease. And they did. And honestly, I could feel it. I could absolutely feel it. And it made all the difference. I still say they saved my life. Isn't that wonderful? And, you know, that's, that's amazing. The journey, uh, the lessons that you've brought here today, it's been absolutely incredible. Now, uh, is there something that you want to share with us? Because there's many people I'm sure out there that want to reach out and say, Adrian, how can I get a hold of you? Maybe I want to come in for a healing session, a coaching session, whatever it may be. How can someone get a hold of you, Adrian? Well, they can email me and probably the easiest email is relief at leaderslanding.com relief at leaderslanding.com but i'd like to offer your listeners something special may i do that yes a hundred percent okay well only for the li- the listeners of uplifting humans i'd like to offer a 20 percent discount on coaching packages and workshops this year um and if the listeners will because this is a fairly new podcast and we want to get the word out and the way to do that is to make sure people are rating this you know let people know if you got value out of it so if you take the time to rate this podcast and uh, let me know in your email and i'll give you a 40 percent discount this year um so that we can really support the great work that you, Philindron, are doing. So there's that. So whether it's thriving through burnout or the power of the feminine, the programs and coaching that I have going on this year, I would love to hear from you. And even if you just have questions, send me an email, relief at leaderslanding.com. Just wonderful. Thank you so much, Adrian. It's been a pleasure. I'm sure we're going to have you back again. You have lots to share. Uh, you're just a wealth of knowledge. And, um, and on behalf of the audience, thank you so much. Until next time, I'm Solyndra Buller, your host from Uplifting Humans, where we engage the world with real stories and expert advice. Please share, rate, uh, tune in, and we'll have Adrian back again. We have uh, incredible speakers and uh, real stories that you can learn from and share that with your friends. And of course, you can go to upliftinghumans.com and all of the episodes are there. Thank you so much. And on that note, 